the pelvic floor lifting, that creates quite a bit of space that the horse can lift up into. And if we're constantly sort of compressing that, it does actually drop the horses back. And then it causes them to protrude through their core, through their abdominals, kick the hind legs out behind them and so on. Welcome to the Equine Body Talks podcast. We'll be diving into the equine industry from the lens of a body worker, talking to other equine professionals and discussing scenarios around soft tissue work for all equine athletes. I'm Kim Krebs, your host. I've been working for over two decades in this industry as a loper, barn manager, and body worker. With the many horses I've worked with in all of these capacities, it has driven me to want to continually find out the why and the hows of equine biomechanics, health, and performance. To help these athletes achieve their best potential while limiting the wear and tear on their bodies. This podcast is dedicated to opening the conversation around equine wellness, diving deeper into the whole body approach for equine performance horses. Hi everyone. I hope you're all doing well wherever you are at. Today's chat is going to focus on us as riders, our effects on the horse's movement and how we can mitigate our own imbalances to improve the performance of our horses. Tina and I had the privilege to sit down with a super inspirational lady, Gina Allen. Gina has developed programs for individuals and groups alike for rider fitness and has written a book on the topic as well. Gina is an Equine Canada dressage coach as well as a BCRPA fitness professional who resides on the west coast of Canada. She has had a passion for horses from a young age and began her riding when she was 10 years old. You'll hear more about what got her into the fitness industry during our conversation, but from college, she began a career in the fitness industry for nine years while combining that with her equine coaching. Moving to Calgary enabled her to work with some of the industry staples, such as Debbie Garside and Frank Selinger. Through her studies of dressage, Gina found her passion, which led her to a move to Pennsylvania. It's here where she worked with her husband, Paul Balasic. You're going to hear more details of some of the inspiring work that came from her time in Pennsylvania throughout our interview. As body workers, we often talk to our clients about their horse's posture and how what we are feeling in the soft tissue is a direct correlation to how they are holding themselves. They might be dropping through their forelimbs with the sternum, rotating out laterally with the hind limbs, dropping the back from a lack of abdominal strength, pushing the ribcage left or right. The why of what is causing these asymmetries often is related to soreness that came from issues like improper tack, injuries, scarring, dental imbalances, fascial restrictions, pathologies, nutrition, joint restrictions, muscle soreness, and yes, us as riders. Perhaps even more so, us as riders, as it's our will that often dictates what the horses are used for, their training, their care, housing, and their tack. So many factors. But let's imagine for a moment that all the underlying factors are perfect. The saddle and the tack are perfectly fit. The horse's dental work has all been balanced. He's completely pain-free, up to date on any maintenance work he might need. Nutrition is A+, and he's just had the most amazing bodywork session. 
We have ourselves a perfect horse who's ready to go. Saddle and bridle are on. We carefully ease ourselves into the saddle while picking up the reins. Just imagine it if you can right now. That feeling you get when you first sit into the saddle. How is the horse feeling underneath you? Are they wanting to move around to accommodate the new weight? Is that perfectly relaxed and balanced horse that we had all its needs taken care of just a moment before now anxious and wanting to move around? Of course, there are a ton of factors involved in a horse's temperament and riding ability. But for the purpose of this podcast, while you are listening, just imagine the horse doesn't have these complications. For this episode, we are focusing on you, the rider. So we're here today with uh, Gina Allen, and we're pretty excited to have her on the podcast. Um, Gina, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started into riding fitness? Yeah, Tina, when I was about 17, I was riding at the time, actually, and I was getting a little bit heavy and uh, really wanted to make some changes in my life. My mom was quite a fitness and yoga advocate, and uh, so she invited me one day to come to her fitness class, and I thought that it, you know, it was all a bunch of ladies that were 50, and it was going to be so easy. Um, and so I went to that class and I started, uh, or I did the class and actually most of the women in the, in the entire class were far more fit than I was. So that sort of started me on this journey of, of becoming fit. And I thought once I get fit, then I'll quit. Um, and I've been on that journey ever since it's been over 50 years now. <laughs> so I think what happens with people is they, they don't understand that they could get past that that's me to a different level. And what, what do you say to people when they're, when they're looking at those, those limitations that they've really grabbed onto? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a little bit of a cycle that can be a challenge mentally to break, but absolutely anybody can change any, any, anybody can improve themselves and just you know it's like that whole idea of changing the course of the ship you just start with little increments little increments and gradually a little bit a little bit can become a major shift so those things where like you said where people are hanging on one rein or you know weighting the dominant side of their body simple exercises little balance exercises and core and pelvic stability exercises that are really quite simple can really change the course of their riding, really change the course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And would you give us an example and, and no names, of course, but could you just give us an example of one of your clients, you know, kind of a real world example? Because I think, again, yeah. lots of people think of that fitness and they're like, oh, don't have time. Oh, no, I can't. You know, so could you give us a little example of somebody that could really change with some easy, you know, uh, applied exercises? Absolutely. Um, I have many students that will dominate on the right side. So they're right-handed, right-dominant. Um, they tend to load the right-hand side of the horse's spine. And of course, it all correlates. The horse doesn't benefit from that lack of balance. Um Having those people get on a fitness ball and work pelvic stability, even just sitting at their computer and focused on 
their seat bones and where they are sitting and what their core posture is like um, has made a tremendous difference in many of my students' work and their riding and their lives, in fact. I think, too, that, you know, simple balance movements. So, for example, if I have someone, say, that is leaning to the right or really right dominant, I might have them do something as simple as, hey, when you're in the bathroom brushing your teeth, can you stand on your left leg? And just really focus on the balance through that left side of your body. What does that feel like? What does the ball of your foot feel like on the floor? And do you have nice even weight distribution between your forefoot and your heel? And then could you envision your foot, that foot being on a stirrup? And how would you place it nicely on the stirrup that you would feel a sense of balance? Simple little things like that. I mean, that's like, you know one minute maybe a day but it just starts to correlate and bring awareness to the rider when they're on the horse and they might go oh yeah I'm going to stretch down into that left leg like I was standing on it when I was brushing my teeth so simple little things you know that can just transition and start to really morph people into a whole new direction and to be able to think of it that way that's something that I you know struggle with myself and I think you're right and most people seem to be right right dominant um but those simple tricks like that standing on your left leg brushing mm -hmm. your teeth such a challenge to do just what your body recognizes as a as a normal right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and um tina the other thing that you mentioned was you know people grabbing one rein or the other commonly right dominance will grab the left rein when they're when they're on the left rein and start turning the horse's head too much, you know, so that the neck is starting to fold to the left. And then the horse starts to scoot out the right shoulder. And largely that occurs because there's an imbalance in the pelvic stability. So um, simple, simple exercises that I get people do for their pelvis and for their core is when they're sitting in a chair, just or driving your car, there's a there is a place where we spend a lot of time really just rolling the shoulders back and down and lengthening through the spine. So when I'm teaching class, I'll get people to reach their arms over their head, pull out of one hip, pull out of the other hip, and then lower the arms, but keep those uh, that length through the core, through the torso, let those shoulders drop back and down. And then if they're driving, I'll often say, okay, now I want you to draw your chin back so that it's against the headrest, open the chest, and then ensure that you're sitting evenly on your sit bones. Because when you're driving, there's a tendency to reach for your gas pedal. You're automatically then in pretty much right canter lead, right? You've got that right seat bone sliding forward. So that compounded over time and, and again, you start to get anomalies in the hip where it feels completely unnatural. So I usually get people to draw their seat forward in the car a little bit and then put their mirror a little bit higher than they might normally so that they've got to lift up and reach to look out that mirror. And that really gives that lengthening of the spine. And I, um, you know, Horses' anatomy is very similar to human anatomy, but because we're bipeds and we, we stand up, we look at the spine and the curvatures in the spine, and there's four major curves. So we've got the inny at the cervical spine, the outy in the thoracic, the inny in the lumbar, and the outy at the sacrum. 
And each one of those correlates to the other. So they're approximately 30 degrees in their, um, you know, curvature. The two innies correlate to each other specifically. So if this um, neck area gets compressed as if you were lifting your chin up, then the lower inny area, the lumbar spot, uh, portion, will start to open up to compensate for it and vice versa in the thoracic as well. So we're really, you know, in life in general, we're trying to keep those curves nice and even as we go. When we start to get on the horse and then we're compounding that concussion and that compression, we can really end up with some serious injuries if we're not sustaining our core to help keep the spinal segments from shearing on each other and also from the compression of the discs. So, you know, when you've seen some really poor dressage riders or bad Western riders and they're very C-shaped in their posture and they're wiggling their hips all over the place, that can be so detrimental to the vertebral segments themselves, but also to the, the discs, you know, so you can get that squishing of the jelly donuts and so on. So I really try and get people just to be thinking about, okay, I'm going to lift up when I'm seated or when I'm standing as if I've got a little corset on my torso and I'm lifting up through the front, through the sides, through the back, but I'm not elevating the shoulders. I'm letting those shoulders drop back and down and then just retracting that chin a little bit. That's another simple, simple thing that you can do, you know, sitting at the table, sitting at the desk, sitting at your computer, driving your car. And that over a long period of time makes a big difference, you know? Yeah, I think that's a brilliant exercise. And as you were talking there, it really made me want to ask um, a little bit about what you find with people's uh, posture and then what they complain about with their horse because of course they we're adding the rider weight to the horse and yeah. then the horse is having to stabilize us yeah. um, and then you know the rider still wants the horse to do the exercises yeah. so um, you know could you talk to us a little bit about that and then not only maybe talk to us about that but could you give us a little maybe an awareness thing that we could even like just little things we could do yeah. with our body to check if we yeah. are pushing our horse off balance yeah absolutely um so um if there's there's two things i want to address one is lateral um balance on the horse so if we're sitting on the horse, um, you know, trying to ensure that we are balanced and even in both of our seat bones, balanced and even in both of our stirrups. So I usually, when I'm doing my warm up on my horse, I'll start walking around and I'll stand up in my stirrups, just like you, you know, a kid doing the hunters or whatever. But I'll really think about stretching down onto those stirrups. And sometimes if I'm on a horse that's, you know, comfortable for me to ride and and um, I feel really trusting of it I'll close my eyes for a few minutes or even just at the halt and I'll really feel down into those stirrups and just try and create as much balance in my right and left stirrup and then I so in that position I'm standing I'm also sort of feeling the surface area of my inner thigh and my calf against the horse's side if I have an anomaly where I'm weighting one seat bone more than the other, 
it's going to cause the opposing, so the non or the less weighted side, to collapse and to start to elevate. So you'll get one knee coming up, one thigh coming up. So if you can just start to close your eyes or even just open your eyes and feel down into those stirrups, stretch from the top of the inner thigh down through the inside of the thigh, down to the ankles and onto the ball of the foot. Most many people will push from their knee down onto their stirrup. And, and you really want that sense of it coming from the top of the inner thigh, like right up by the pelvis and down. So I usually start with that. I'll stand up, I'll set my leg. So I'm thinking of um, uh, that bar stool image that I'm sitting on the edge of a bar stool. And if somebody pulled that bar stool out from underneath my seat, I'd still remain standing. So I've got that ear, shoulder, hip, heel. But I'm also really thinking about, okay, I'm going to balance those stirrups and the weight in those stirrups evenly. And then I'm starting to feel from the stirrups up to my seat, do I have equal surface area? So just paying attention to my inner thigh. Did I feel the same on each side? And for a lot of people going into their body and actually feeling their body is kind of a weird experience. But, you know, the more you can start to go, hey, just as my warm up, I'm going to, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to start to feel this. And do I have that even weight distribution? Maybe I don't even know. Maybe I'm just going to start to learn and teach my body to feel these things and then go from the stirrups up through the calf, through the inner thigh to the sit bones. And then from there, you know, draw those shoulders back and down and lengthen through the torso. And that will really help you um, when you're riding, maintain that balance um, that your horse A isn't confused by your aids, but also uh, that they can do the very best for you. The weight is actually a very significant aid. And I think people underestimate that aid. If you're dominating in one seat bone more than the other, usually dependent on how much weight you're putting in that seat bone, the horse will feel it and they'll start to bend or curve, you know? And so if I'm right dominant and I'm going in a circle to the left, I'm loading that seat bone the horse is going to start to counterbend. And then you've got a whole balance issue. Then commonly what happens is a person will grab with their right thigh, right dominant, and start to collapse or add more pressure. Then the horse is getting a restriction through the torso, through the ribcage, through the shoulder. And so you can just get into a whole host of, you know, incidents. Then sometimes they'll start to pull that left rein. So now we've got you know, the left ring being pulled back and the horse's neck going to, to the left and head going to the left, shoulder and body going to the right. So, so just, you know, really simply when you're warming up or when you're in walk or even halting, just stretching down evenly into those stirrups and then feeling that surface area against the horse from the lower leg right up to the top of the thigh and into the sit bones and then, and then working on the torso, sitting above the seat bones. The other anomaly that I see quite a bit of is um, the C-shaped positioning. And so people tend to collapse like a vulture through their torso. And sometimes they'll stick their chin out, which adds a ton of compression to the cer uh, cervical spine and the, the segments of the cervical spine. But it also puts the rider behind the motion. So now the horse is having to 
load and work that much harder. And the rider is constantly just a little bit out of the timing. So it can also be extremely concussive for the horse. You know, so getting our bodies upright and moving ourselves to the middle front of the saddle, where we get right in line with that horse's center of gravity. And that's the place where they can, you know, elevate and push and be the most athletic they can be. So uh, again, you know, sitting in your chair, car, wherever you are and stretching up, getting the shoulders back and down, that really helps mitigate that C-shaped posture that can lead to, I'm sure, a host of other things in the horse's world. You know, you start getting the seat coming too far back in the saddle, then you're getting all that compression heading towards the lumbar spine and so on. So, and, and the other thing that comes to mind too is if you're in those C-shaped positions and the lower leg is too far forward, you're not able to allow the horse's hind legs to come underneath and that lumbar spine to tuck under, you know, um, because we, we block them. And sometimes if a rider bangs them, then the horse just goes, hey, you know what, you're lying to me. I'm not going to step under there anymore. It's just easier to push out behind. So those are those are things that I really like to focus on when I'm working on rider position and, and posture. I'm a cutting horse enthusiast. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about that C shape, which is something that is so dominant in our sport, um, mm-hmm. while at the same time really requiring those horses to work deep off that hind end and get low into the ground. I'm definitely guilty of this same thing where when you you feel like that your center of gravity, not talking about the horse, but just yourself, when that mm-hmm. horse is going and is so powerful into that hard stop and quick turn mm-hmm. that the lower we can get to the right. horse, it right. seems to feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think there are moments where that is absolutely appropriate. It's just don't be stuck in those moments, right? right? Where right. you where you have to pelvic tilt and you have to go with, but then bring yourself back to that spot, you know, that center. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no well, and I think I think that's a great point, Gina, because that's what we, even when we're doing body work on the horses, we're really looking at um, you know, how to get that horse's um, overall just standing normalized posture into a balanced shape, right? So I love that you said, you know, making sure that, you know, this gets so innate that it would come back to be kind of the center of where you would always come back as a check-in, which I think right. would be brilliant. So many horses, I think, are just pushed onto the forehand, like you say, because they you know, they're getting their back legs out behind them. They're, um, you know, they, the rider isn't in sync with their ability to lift up through that circle of muscle and use their own core. And so, you know, the horse doesn't have the opportunity to do that. And even these small things that you're suggesting, like we could make a big difference for a lot of riders just by doing these check-ins. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Tina, when you said that, it sprung to my mind, the pelvic floor, you know, our pelvic floor is highly underestimated. It, you know, if you're not engaging the low abdominals, if you, if you think about that area from your pubic bone to your hip bones and straight across, you know, just engaging that, those lower deep layer muscles, the transverse abdominus, but also the pelvic floor, 
lifting, that creates quite a bit of space that the horse can lift up into. And if we're constantly sort of compressing that, it does actually drop the horses back. And then it causes them to protrude through their core, through their abdominals, kick the hind legs out behind them and so on. So, and not only that, it, it causes damage. I mean, a lot of damage to their spine, right? When they can't carry themselves correctly and their joints, you know. I think the other thing, just um, listening to your last description that we could um, dive into next would be um, how, when you have a rider that is working their horse and you see that they've got an imbalance or a asymmetry that you'd like to help them with, with your um, uh, fitness work that you do, how do you um, get them to bring that uh, to the forefront or, or maybe a better way to say it would be, how would you get them when they're in the thick of riding to yeah. kind of get back to that check-in spot so that they're they're not just kind of okay they get on i love your i'm gonna start doing that because i haven't been doing that i love the get on your horse just check in i'm gonna start doing that myself when i get on but you know when you get in the thick of riding yeah. usually when things are going wrong it's because of something we're doing Correct. what what are some of the check-ins that you do with your clients to just remind them okay whoa whoa I yeah. know your horse won't turn left. Let's check in with you in this kind of a way. Um, that That's a really good question. So I often liken it or bring it back to the breath. So I'll go, I'll do a breathe in, right? Breathe in, breathe out, stretch down. So I, and for the little kids, when I'm doing pony club and stuff, I go, okay, I want you to do a mini jumping jack. And that is what we'll call reset your leg. So we'll breathe in. Breathe out, stretch down onto your stirrups, widen your legs, and then give them the big sort of salad tongue hug with your with your leg a little bit. Um, and then I might do from the ground up, you know, from the feet up. But often, Tina, uh, the breath, I'll connect it with the breath, and then I'll go breathe, and often that's a reminder, okay, go through my checklist, where am I? Where am I in space? The other thing sometimes I'll do is say, okay, every time you come back to see or you come around past your indoor door, I'm going to do a little check-in. How's my alignment? Am I even in my stirrups? And then I, I usually do start from the base and go up and I'll just do that. Even if I'm, you know, every new movement, I try and go, okay, where am I in space? Am I on the right seat bone? And you really start to build a little dialogue for yourself, a little repertoire of, am I even in my stirrups? Am I even in my seat bones? Am I even in my shoulders? Is my jaw relaxed? Are my shoulders back and down? Okay, now we're in shoulder in. Am I sitting a little bit to my inside seat bone? Am I back, you know, enough? So I think as you go, you start to build a little bit more dialogue each time. But in the moment, the breath is what I use most commonly. Yeah, I love that. And I love that idea of putting a little check-in spot in your arena, because I think we could all do that. You know, we could take... Uh, a sticky note or an old stuffy yeah. or something. And then yeah. every time you go by it, it might just, whoa, right. I'll, yeah. I better check in with my body again. You know, yeah. I think that's brilliant. I think it's great too. I myself have had a massive injury or, or trauma, I guess I would say to my abdominals in, in a surgery that I had to have done. And it caused me to be overbent right. for a right. significant period of time. And I realized once I got back on the horse, 
I was still in that shape. I still wasn't physically quite able to elongate my core yet. Conjunction also with my cutting horse background that wants me to be in that C shape. When I do get on my horses, especially the last few years, I have been doing those check-ins, maybe not quite as thoroughly as what you've described. And I certainly am going to start implementing them as well myself, but just being, I find that check-in and being present in how am I affecting my seat is affecting the horse. So like you say, feeling, do I feel I'm on the same seat bone or all the time, or am I balanced on both? And I've, I've made a real conscious effort to do that. And I feel that it has made a huge difference, not only in my posture and helping me come back from that um, situation, but also just in how my horses are actually responding to, and they, they're so much more responsive, you know, right. when I need that, that stop, which normally for us is sit on your seat bones and, you know, yeah. come down. It's much more instantaneous than it was where I had to put force myself into that seat bone. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So I think, Gina, you mentioned something a little earlier that I think we should expand on a little bit, and that was the center of gravity. Could you tell us just a little bit about human center of gravity, how someone would understand that about themselves? Because I know male and female is a little different. Um, And maybe um, how you kind of equate that to to, uh, riding and the horse. Good question, Tina. So for most individuals, their center of gravity, I always, I I use this image. If somebody stuck a spear in you and lifted you up off the ground, the Mm -hmm. point where you would stay balanced on that spear would more or less be your center of gravity. And so for, for women, I'm not sure for men actually, to be perfectly honest, but for women it's slightly lower than your belly button. That area we try and bring ourselves to a place where we are directly over the horse's center of gravity. And of course, it's going to depend on the horse, but generally speaking, it is, I'm just envisioning being on my horse, it is just slightly behind where your knees would be, or maybe slightly above the knees. Um, Of course, it's going to depend on the horse's structure to your legs and so on. But you're really trying to get those two centers on top of one another. When we sit on the horse, our center of gravity rises a little bit higher, a little bit above the belly button. To that end, you know, if I deal with this a lot with jumper riders and their and their kids, and I, I used to do it too. In fact, I have a funny story, but anyways, I'll, I'll just tell you. <laughs> They're told often to look up and look ahead look ahead to where you're going. And sometimes they're looking at least half a circle ahead. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never drive my car looking out the side window. And often what happens when we get into that posture is our center of gravity raises. Now the center of gravity has a lot to do with the diaphragm. And when when we get into that elevated posture, the diaphragm lifts as well, which the hip flexors, which are the um, large muscles that attach to the femur, and they run through the hip to the thoracic spine, right underneath that diaphragm is where they attach. When the diaphragm's pulled up, the hip flexors are pulled up. So the horses can feel this 
elevation and then feel the rider's body position, leg, come up. And I think if I was over, so I'd be going, what is going on? You know, is there something to worry about here? Or now I've got to deal with this person that's, you know, a little bit more wobbly. So um, I really like to say, okay, bring the center of gravity down, but still lengthen through the torso. And when we're riding, yes, you can glance where you're looking, but don't obsess because then you are already three seconds in advance. You're not in the moment. And in the moment is looking through the horse's ears like it's a windshield. And I can rotate my body three degrees, but if I start rotating any more than that, I'm going to start to create um, compression and pressure on the horse's spine that is abnormal. It's going to start to throw it off balance. So there's, there's sort of two components to what I'm saying. One is not elevating so much that you're lifting that center of gravity, lowering it, but lengthening through the spine, and then not rotating too far through your torso and so on. I think so. we don't think about that, right? Like we, we think about us riding, but we don't think about what it's doing our riding to the horse, right? So we're thinking like your example with the jumping, not, um, I am not, I'm a dressage gal, but uh, when you're thinking about that, that turn and you're really looking off, what is your weight bearing doing to the horse's spine? How does that affect yeah. their rib cage? Yeah. And, you know, they still have to maintain those strides in between. So I think that's a great point to bring up because people just don't think about it. They think about the end goal of the jump or right. the place right. they're headed, yeah. but they just don't think about what's happening in the moment. Yeah. That, um, as you know, I used to work for um, Frank Sellinger and he was actually the one that said to me, you know, you can look if you're a jumper rider or if you're a dressage rider or if you're looking for a cow, you know, you can look at that particular spot, but then you must carry that in your mind's eye and trust that you carry that in your mind's eye and get back to what you're riding because you need to have the correct ride to whatever it is you're doing, whether, you know, whether it's a movement in dressage or a jumper or a cow. So, you know, and I just, that really struck me profoundly because if I have the right, whatever it is, canter, trot, whatever, I can, I can do whatever is necessary. But if I don't, that's going to be not great, whatever that is. Yeah. I love that idea too of, of making sure and trusting what you see, Absolutely. what you feel. Um, because I think that is key to a lot of riders, even in terms of their inhibitions and their, um, being able to focus their rides forward is that they don't always trust themselves. Um, and they're always worrying about the next thing instead of being in the moment. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't want to go too far into this, but I think so many people are detrained away from their intuition. And, and so much of that is vital to riding. Yeah. It's just imperative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point, Kim. If we stick with that kind of emotional part, you know how sometimes when we think about fitness, we think to ourselves, oh, it has to be done seven days a week and I have to be on this kind of program. And if I'm not, I'm not getting it done. Um, what do you say to people, you know, that they are trying to ride, they have a busy life, all those kind of things. I, I loved your toothbrush and your driving ana analogy, but what do you say to people that, feel like they can't fit riding fitness in to their to their life 
I had a girl come to me because she was having trouble doing that. And she said to me, what can I do? Like I'm working all day and then I go ride. And I said, well, you know what? Do you ever take bathroom breaks? And she said, absolutely I do. And I said, okay, when you go to the bathroom, I want you to stand up against the wall. And I've actually got a section in my book about doing exercises at work. I want you to stand against the wall after you've gone to the bathroom because you don't want to be standing there all tense. But just stand up against the wall and place these three segments, the back of your head, so that little pointy part, between your shoulders and the base of your pelvis. Place those three points onto the wall and then just take one hand and place it between the small of your back and the wall. And if you have more than a hand to a hand and a half width between the small of the back and the wall, it means that you're large, or arching forward, you're lardotic. And in which case you need to tuck the tail under. So you can really think about, oh, okay, can I, can I get back of the head between the shoulders, base of the pelvis? I call it three-point touch. Can I get those points aligned? And you just do it for a moment, but it gives you that awareness. And then, and then actually, if you want to spend a little bit more time in the bathroom, then you can do chest stretches. This is for everybody that, play, you know, drives their car, rides their horse, is at the computer, eats, whatever. Just getting those shoulders back and down and then placing one arm on either side of the door jam of the, of the um, bathroom booth and then just gently pressing through. Those are fabulous ones, you know? So those, that's sort of two simple things you can do. Then there's a host of other stretches. The warrior stretch is one of my favorite um, stretches. And I guess in this podcast, what I could do is describe it. But um, those of you that do yoga, you know warrior. Um, one, one leg is stepping forward in what would be like a runner's lunge. And then you gently rotate the back foot out to about 30 to 45 degrees and your legs or your feet rather are about three feet apart and then you just try and bring the back leg so supposing my my right leg is behind me I'm going to try and bring that right hip slightly forward and the front hip slightly back and then take a nice deep breath and bring your arms overhead and that really helps to open up those hip flexor muscles that can get contracted when we sit for long periods of time and also when we ride. So so um, there are plenty of, you know, those can just be rest breaks. And for people that are at work and at computers, you know, they're starting to uh, liken type two diabetes to sitting for two, for extended periods of time. So they're saying every 20 minutes we should get up and do something. So why not get up, you know, stand on one leg, then go to the water cooler, then come back, do a warrior stretch, a warrior stretch. Um, you know, there's just really simple ways that you can put little, little bits of exercises into your daily life that again, change the course of the ship one degree at a time, you know? So, um, and that's something that I would really like to do when we get together is go through a number of stretches and so on that you can do at the office, you know, or on a tree or whatever at the barn. I think that's so great, Gina, because we often say to people that say the same thing to us that they can't get their horses exercises done. You know, they just don't have that extra 10 minutes to just, you know, brush a little bit and do something and brush a little bit and do something. So by by actually trying to implement it into our day, I think that's an easier way for people to think about exercise than saying to themselves they've got to 
take a block of an hour and, you know, get all the stuff out. And yeah, yeah, I think that's just super to be able to do that. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times as we're talking here on the podcast about your book. What made you decide to write a book? I think it was largely to do two, two, well, three major injuries that I've had in my life. Um, uh, One, when I was a child, um, I herniated a disc, I believe, and that caused me a lot of back pain when I was about 10. And so I sort of always been aware of modalities to help fix our body and um, was in this sort of chronic patterning in my body that needed to be fixed. And then when I was living in Pennsylvania, um, I fractured my sacrum and also almost completely evolved my hamstring. And uh, when I did that, I especially the hamstring. So I did the hamstring first. And then a few months later, after I'd recovered, I did the pelvis. But I, I could only sit on the ball because it was so tender and so um, uncomfortable in the back of my thigh. And I found such huge therapeutic value in sitting on the ball in terms of what it helped me understand about riding and how it started to just in this really gentle way teach the muscles of my torso and pelvis how to stabilize and then I sort of got more interested in how do I how do I um, start to challenge my core on this ball and so I started doing things like marching on the ball and then really saw the change in my posture uh, when I was riding, you know. I used to fall off to the left side every time I cantered. My body would, would be centered and I'd pick up the canter and then I'd go and I'd have to grab the saddle and pull myself back in, you know. And after doing these exercises for a few months, that was no longer an issue, you know. Or if it was an issue, it came back to center very easily, you know. So that and also being able to go to Michigan State University and to see the experiments that Hillary Clayton did with Paul with at the biomechanics lab was, it was just awe-inspiring. It really, truly was. That at one point, Paul was riding Eli, um, St. Graal was his horse, um, onto, in, in Passage, onto these force plates. And then he would pee off on the force plates and then went up into Lavad, which is a uh, controlled rear. He actually went up into a higher rear, which was a facade. But they had all these ping pong balls. This was back in the day when they were just learning how to generate video images and imagery. They had ping pong balls glued to his arms and down the side of his body. And all of these cameras were pooling these ping pong balls into a computer program that came out as a stick horse and a stick man. And when he did these, these movements, you could see the pounds per square inch of pressure that the horse's front legs and hind legs were putting on the force plates. And then when he went up into the Levade, I just saw his body sort of, um, Paul's body sort of pelvic tilted and then came into this really strong hold. And because the rear was so high, I knew if he faltered, he and the horse would either possibly tip over backwards so it was one of those moments where you went oh my gosh like it was it was absolutely extraordinary and totally paramount to my understanding of how much our bodies affect the horse you know yeah it was just it was extraordinary and you know and the other things like uh i remember being at spruce meadows and watching ludger beerbaum ride in the queen's plate and 
he is like an extraordinary rider. So he's very classically dressage and yet he's in the Grand Prix field, right? And there was this jump off and he ended up winning the, the class, but here's how he did it. He was like in this huge gallop across the water jump and, and but in absolutely picture perfect posture and he jumps the water jump and everybody's like ah you know and then he comes galloping up to this oxer and it's five six tall and five six wide and he just kind of gathers up the reins and the horse just <clears throat> jumps it lands and he reaches down and half halts and right beside the oxer was the bicycle jump he does that half pirouette like a perfect half pirouette and then just gallops up over this fence. And, you know, it took him about three seconds or four seconds. And everybody else was doing the Tour de France to get back to that job. So it was just absolutely extraordinary. And I just thought, I mean, everybody screamed because it was so marvelous, you know. But that, too, was one of those moments where you went, oh, that's riding. Like, that is the essence of what it's all about, you know. So it was quite thrilling. And, and I think those two things have really stuck or few things have really stuck with me, you know, and, and I feel lucky to have experienced those things. Yeah. Just to, just yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Cause I think sometimes that when, when it just sticks inside you, like I can still, I can get goosebumps as you tell those stories because it's, uh, you know, you can tell how much it meant. Um, and like you say, a good riding is is poetry, you know. So if we could, if any of us could kind of get there on a day-to-day -day basis, I think that would be phenomenal. The What is the name of your book, Gina, and where can people get it if they're looking for uh, some more help? It's Equifitness, and it is on Amazon, Exercise Guide to Becoming a Better Rider. And I am planning another book. So we'll see when that comes out. Gina, we really want to have you back for an owner's course. It'll be a live webinar, so people will be able to see you. But what could they expect if they come and sign up for that? Um, Tina, what we would do is an exploration and, and an assessment of their different anomalies and then go through a series of stretches just to sort of get a sense of where they might have restriction and how that would affect the horse. And then a series of strengthening exercises that they can utilize. Um, and, uh, you know, you can have a, not, a lot of stretches or you can have a few stretches, but really just being able to identify, gee, that's my zone, my target zone that I could kind of work on a little bit and, and that will help me grow in my riding. So that's really where we go. And it's a lot of fun, you know, a lot of uh, exploring about our own body and, and just seeing how, how it all kind of comes together. I think that would be just a, a excellent for anybody, any level of rider and anybody that wants to uh, learn more about their, their uh, personal body. If you had one thing that you would like to leave with people um, as a thought when they're thinking about their own body when they're riding, what would be something that you would, you'd like people to just kind of have in the back of their mind daily when they're riding? I think if they could do that from the ground up, the alignment of, you know, check into your stirrups, then just check from the, from your stirrups right up through the inner leg to your seat bones and to your pelvis, and then stretching up from there through your core, through the shoulders and just rolling those shoulders back and down, kind of, you know, getting yourself into that nice alignment and making sure you're pressed to the middle front of the saddle that you can um, 
yeah, maintain that alignment. And, and if you can connect that with the breath, nice deep breath in, you know, maybe a four count in and a four count out. We can't thank Gina enough for taking the time to have this conversation with us. Just a real inspiration to her of all of her significant injuries, but which ultimately led her to the work she now does with fitness and body awareness. And now to share this knowledge with all riders through her Equit Fitness program. As riders, we often consider our riding as our fitness routine and negate the effects we have on our horse's ability to perform. I think Gina did an amazing job of describing the importance of why we need to focus on our own posture and fitness outside of riding to then be able to enhance our ability in the saddle, thus mitigating the effect our poor posture and fitness has on our own equine partners. Her programs are geared specifically for riders and are relevant no matter where you're at in your fitness currently. As Tina mentioned, your body worker will leave you with exercises for you to work your own horses with, between rides, to strengthen the areas of weakness that were found. So focusing on our own bodies outside of the arena is another crucial aspect to make sure that the changes we want to achieve in our horses are long-standing and effective. Since returning to Canada, Gina continues to teach dressage, fitness, and her own Better Bodies Fitness, a low-impact class designed for women, third-age fitness, and yoga. She is available to teach equifitness cl clinics and workshops throughout North America and abroad. Her website will be in the show notes, as well as the link to her new book, but you can search it at ginaallen.ca. That's G-I-N-A-A-L-L-A-N dot C-A. And you can join us on March 19th from 7 to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, when we're also going to be doing a webinar with Gina as a part of our own owner's course seminars. The link, again, will be in the show notes, but you can check it out through the in-hand equinetherapy.podia.com platform. I hope this has brought some consciousness of ourselves as riders and a better understanding of how important it is for us to be an integral part of the team between horse and rider and not simply the pilot that's sitting on their backs. Thank you for listening to the episode. I appreciate each rating and review you can give to help grow this podcast and ask that you please share it on social media and with your friends. Reach out to the social media pages on Facebook and Instagram under Equine Body Talks to know about upcoming episodes and to connect with me if you have areas you'd like to have discussed or guests you'd like to listen to. All of our episodes can be found on my website at krebsequine.com and our Equine Body Talks YouTube channel. Remember to always be an advocate for your horse and not be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness team. Thank you.